Capital FM, Moscow. We speak English. We play the hits.
imagine my morning without two things a cup of coffee and my favorite capital breakfast show Dina and Talish you're great best of the best each morning is really great and fun makes my morning so much better love you this is capital FM Moscow 105.3 the one and only English speaking station in Moscow With Alan Moore. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Capital Sports on Moscow's Capital FM. I am Alan Moore, and of course, I will warn you now, be ready for the very best news, views, reviews, previews, and interviews in the world of sports. For the next two hours, just sit back, relax, and let a warm wave of sports wash over you. Folks, we have the very best show of the year so far for you. Uh, in just a minute, we are going to go to Jonathan Higgins to look at the biggest sports event in the world this weekend. Trust me, it was bigger than anything. Rugby, tennis, you name it. Of course, I'm talking about the Man U Liverpool Derby, which just finished a very, very short time ago. So, we're also going to check in how the Moscow clubs are doing in the Russian Premier League. Dinamo and Krasnodar just finished a short time ago. 1-1. One, one. Good result for the uh, Dinamo. And, of course, we have Spartak with Tedesco's first game in charge against Rubin. Loco were away in Grozny and Siska were out in Ufa. We're going to have a look at all those and check, of course, the English and Russian Premier League. In part two, we have our German expert, Roman Murphy. Ronan Murphy, even not Roman. Ronan Murphy, he is going to give us a proper profile of Spartak's new boss because, of course, we said at first that Tedesco was going to get the job here and we were right. Okay, some news of course from the Bundesliga from Ronan as well. In part three we have another first. We have author and New York Times sports reporter Tariq Panja and he is going to join us to discuss football finances sort of like tricky business as well and what is happening at Man City and of course in the English Premier League in general. At 10pm we go across to Ontario to catch up with our own Alex B and chat North American sports and of course we'll have a little bit of a look and see what's happening in the Major League playoffs in uh, baseball and how the Russian players are doing in the NHL. In part 5 this is a biggie. We have award-winning sports journalist and biographer, a former UFC champ and, of course, a hero for many, Conor McGregor. And we're going to talk about his rise and continuing fall. Okay, And also we'll speak about what happened in Doha and many, many other things as well. But that's later on in part five after 10 o'clock. Okay, and then finally, in part six, we're going to have a look ahead to round three of the UEFA Champions and Europa League games with our very own Danny Armstrong. And we'll look, of course, at... Locals gold standard opposition out in Turin, of course, that is Juventus. And Daniel, of course, he was covering the Kremlin Cup this um, today for us as well. So he's going to tell us how Rublev really made it two in a row for Russia. Because, of course, uh, Karan, he won last year. Right. And, of course, double end is mind the phone. So to send in your opinions or messages, it's plus seven nine two five one 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 zero five three. Let's get down to business. OK, so Liverpool. They went today to Old Trafford looking to equal the English Premier League record of 18 wins to start a season. They were very confident, almost bordering on cocky, I would say. Um, and of course, Holly Gullis Sanchez, he kind of like slagged off Liverpool as well, saying that, you know, like, you know, it won't be 30 years until we win our next league title. So what happened? Because, of course, it's the 173rd league meeting and their 203rd overall in all competitions. So we're going to ask. A Liverpool fan and, of course, the off-the-ball and news talk sports reporter and a man who's looking at it all today, Jonathan Higgins. Jonathan, what happened today in Old Trafford? It was the stereotypical Liverpool-United game at Old Trafford. There are games as a fan that I, as I hate and detest. 
because Liverpool seem to have a fear factor, um, despite it seems to be years and years of, I suppose, bad results at, at Old Trafford from, from United being so far uh, ahead of superior to Liverpool. And um, it, it felt like that mentality came through the, health, uh, through the team today. And uh, Liverpool were very, very sloppy in that game. Didn't really, I suppose, play any sort of football till about 10 minutes to go. Um, and even at that, it was limited enough. There were so many poor decisions all over the pitch. Um, I suppose the biggest thing you will say really about Liverpool is they allowed a very poor Manchester United team to play huff and huff, huff and puff football that brought the best out of them and they ran the crowd and they, you know, they were, you know, I, I don't like being too disrespectful, but they felt like such a small team mentality and the way they, they just sat back so deep and just hit on the counter and they continued on. The whole game was sort of a, a weird, weird environment and then of course, We've had a, a couple of bits of controversy as, as Liverpool United games always have uh, thrown in the mixer as well. So all in all, it was a it was a poor game of football. Um, quality very very, you know there was nothing really go back on the chances that neither team really created anything. Um, just one of those kind of strange games where two heavyweights come together and uh, put up a, a, sl- a slow sluggish chess match. But the only thing you, you'd probably say from from out of the two teams, if you look at a, a, some sort of confusion on the on the game there. Um, United looked very. I thought they looked deflated at the end, even the last couple of minutes. Um, it felt like if that goal had gone in ten minutes earlier, Liverpool could have gone on to to, to win the game. Even the United were just. It felt there was a kind of a weird kind of flatness all the ground, and I suppose that's in, in, in really with the way uh, Solskjaer had the team set up, and he even he's his own per- body language at the end. It just felt like oh no, they're doomed now. Strange, strange game of football. All that said, okay, I know that like your Liverpool dominated possession, had like almost two thirds of uh, possession, um, or probably actually over two thirds of possession. They had more shots on target, of course, um, less corners. Um, and for me, it was a very like I mean, I, I watched fully the first half, and then I was in the studio watching the second half and listening to and I'm watching the updates. Um, it was a good, robust game of football as well because I mean there's some good challenges, and the referee let a lot go. But I was looking at the first half and I thought that, you know, United were fair, like, you know, were, were for the lead 1-0 going in at half time, that was fair dues because I thought United just edged the first half. Oh, they did, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, they, they were the better team. They they, they, they were indifferent, really, the whole roll up your sleeve football and get in and they were flying into tackles and the, the whole kind of bounce back motivation that they needed, they showed on the pitch. Um, the tactical tweak as well. I thought you know it, it worked quite well. That being said, I thought Liverpool played into their hands really. Although they had a lot of possession, they didn't really do a lot with it. There was there was such a lack of movement of front and even in midfield, and it was slow and sluggish. Crosses were kind of going in, but they were going in way too early and deep, and they were just so easy to defend. I thought they I thought they completely played into United's hands. And then, as always happens in a situation like that, when the team goes, okay, you know what? These these aren't so great after all. They're, they're still they're still rolling here um, and they, they got into it and they grew into the game and that kind of blip and bubble that sometimes you know you get that sugar rush where a team comes into it they start off crazy and then a, a, a more dominant team can, takes control that never happened and United as a result were able to push on and were, were thoroughly deserved for, uh, I know there's a huge uh, the, the goal or whatever you want to talk about but United totally deserved their, their lead at halftime and were the better team and I suppose if you look at it over the whole course of the play of what 95 plus minutes or whatever it was um, 
a draw probably flatter Liverpool and that that's really speaks volumes of that's, just how bad Liverpool were today. But listen, Jonathan, this has been coming for a while because Liverpool have been playing pretty like I mean against against Sheffield United, they they benefited from, you know, let's just say something that if, if oh, it happened God, in the playground. Horrible. I mean but still yeah. that's 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 what United got away with that for many, many years when they were winning leagues and winning cups and doing very, very well. Liverpool did that and today, I mean Rashford came out afterwards and said, Look, they got a point today. We lost two points. Um, and, and, and they just felt like, you know, that, that they, they, were, they were almost there. And you kind of did have that feeling. If they won today, suddenly it, it lifted United because they're in a bad way. I mean, financially, they're heading for quite a meltdown as well. I mean, they're in big, big trouble. They've been losing a lot of money. They've got a lot of, even though they're moving players off the books, they still have a lot that, that, that you know, that's there in the books. That's like a lot of, let's just say, trash. But if you're looking at it... Um, you know, do you think that this could be either? I mean, we keep talking about turning points for teams, and like they've turned a corner. But United keep turning corners, which means they're back at where they were. Do you think, in in your opinion, okay, leave Liverpool aside for a moment? Do you think that United now can kick on from this? Can they go into Europe on Thursday and say, "Listen, we're going to do this"? Can they go as they've been saying, as Solskjaer and so on were saying that even uh, Mourinho turned around and said, "Look, we can. They, they can go on now and push for the Europa League because today they're going into that game." threatened with relegation yeah well I think probably relegation is probably too strong a word really I think they're, they're nowhere near re- relegation form I know people come out and say tongue in cheek I really live in this is me speaking as a, as a general football reporter and, and someone that watches a hell of a lot of football United are in a huge huge trouble um, Solskjaer is not, is not the man to take United forward yeah, listen, um, we've, heard, we've heard that even, before we've heard that before and we've heard uh, it from Peter Staunton uh, yeah. saying that like like crap team going nowhere Um but listen, should, like, is it just that he's not he's not a good enough coach, or that he's not a big enough personality? Should they get someone, you know, big in they, to, to yeah. rush? They, they have to really. There's, look, there's there's flashbacks really of Liverpool here in the nineties, really with, with United at the moment. Um, you know, they're they're such a mess on and off the pitch. You you talk about. I don't really like sounding too respectful, but say the inadequate players that they had at the club, they haven't been they've been moved on, but they haven't been moved on good from a business point of view. Even just say Sanchez room, they're still paying a huge amount of his wages. There's bad business and decisions happening as well. And you compare that really to Liverpool. It took them a long time, but they've got it right off the pitch um, in terms of what Edwards is doing from the football business point of view. He's still shipping out players that are nowhere near good enough for, for Liverpool for good good fees and wages and that keeps the business side taking over where it, it, it feels like at the moment um, United can't can't sell anybody on you know properly there doesn't seem to be a there's a mess there I feel though in a weird way from a football point of view the worst thing that could possibly have happened United today is if they'd gone on to win the game now well, that sounds so strange no no, no <laughs> so Jonathan just, you're, you're right on that you're right because I think it would yeah, have given a bit of false hope yeah, because you, you could you could feel the whole thing kind of stuck it in. The longer the the crowd was really, you know, you hear them chanting his name, and you you just felt that kind of that hope and that everyone coming together, which hasn't been really there for for a while. Now, the one thing you'd say is today today uh, Solskjaer surprised me a bit in in the way that he showed a tactical side of the game, the game that for me he hadn't showed many many times before. That being said, it was quite negative tactics, and I don't think at a, at a club like, like United you can't be going with your rivals at home. And play such negative football. You look at the football there that's that's been played. It's it's very very similar to what Jose Mourinho got absolutely ridiculed for and but, got ran out of the club for. And even even during that, you go back to when things were rosy with um, with Solskjaer the, the, and when he took over the job at the end of last season, they were still playing quite poor football. You go back to the opening game of the season against Chelsea. It was very very plain 
agriculture football, they were literally just sitting back and catching on the break. Big teams get found out. You get found out against that so many times. There doesn't still seem a big structure in place. I think they're, they're, they are very much missing that, that time because it feels like... Oh God! I'll come out and say it. It feels like Solskjaer is a little bit of a puppet for Ferguson in the role. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's. You know, <laughs> no, I, I I agree because like you know you could sort of like um, you you could see that like Ferguson's lips weren't moving when um the his his first replacement came in. Uh, Mourinho, of course, wouldn't want his anyone using their hand on him to to speak. But I I agree with Solskjaer. I think I I, I think that maybe the influence is a bit too strong um, on Ferguson listen John we're, we're just very very quickly just moving on go Liverpool okay <laughs> Liverpool you, you, you battled out a draw it's a draw it's a draw could have won the game could have gone in at half time Mane's goal disallowed but okay fine that aside okay that aside this week huge game against Genk okay it's at uh, 10 o'clock our time here in Moscow on Wednesday you have a very interesting stat I do indeed, and you're, 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 that has a, a, an Irish angle as well, and you're going to make me put me on the spot and try and find it again, <laughs> are you? It's, um, it's, 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 it's a bad uh, record that Genk have uh, in the competition at the moment, and uh, here it is, I've pounded up again. Should Genk fa- fail to defeat uh, Liverpool on Wednesday night, they will set a record for the games played in European football slash Champions League without winning. They currently played 14, and that's with uh, no wins, six Six losses and eight draws, and that's level with Florentina FC and the good old down the road from here, Shamrock Rovers. It's so actually a little Flo- bit of pressure. Floriana, a little bit of pressure. Floriana, and the interesting thing is Floriana oh. and Shamrock Rovers were actually once upon a time partners. There you go. So absolutely, and, absolutely. And, so and, you've and, added, you've polished it even more there. There you go. And Roddy Collins coached both clubs. So the famous Roddy Collins, great guy, great a God, good friend of uh, mine. So listen, I, I didn't want to tweet it out to you today, but there you go. Listen, Jonathan, thank you so so much. I know you you're going to be going more regular with us here. So thank you so much. Go enjoy that point and have a point as well, and we'll talk to you very very soon. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you, Jonathan. Okay, that was off the balls. Jonathan Higgins, he will be back on with us a little bit more regular as well because he is an absolutely brilliant correspondent. Right, we're going to wait to the break and give you a break from me. We're going to come back with Ronan Murphy in a moment. Um, And you're going to enjoy this one. It's going to get you grooving a wee bit. It's going to warm up tonight, even though it is plus 14 here in the capital. This is Mika and Grace Kelly back after the break. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. I want to talk to you. The last time we talked, Mr. Smith, you reduced me to tears. I promise you it won't happen again. Do I attract you? Do I repulse you with my queasy smile? Am I too dirty? Am I too flirty? Do I like what you like? I could be wholesome, I could be loathsome, just I'm a little bit shy. Why don't you like me? Why don't you like me without making me try? I try to be like Chris Kelly. Little Freddy, mm-hmm. I've got an entity. I could be brown, I could be blue, I could be violet. Gotta be green, gotta be lean, gotta be everything more. Why don't you like me? Why don't you like me? Why don't you walk out the door?
Welcome back, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had a bit of a groove at home or in the car or the shower. Where, well, wherever you are, just enjoy it. Have a lot of fun. Um, because do you know what? Life is all about having a bit of a smile, having a bit of fun. And we're very, very lucky here because we do have... Uh, I have to, I've said it many times before. He rarely ever hears it, but I have to say that we have a banger producer who basically makes sure that we get the very, very best sports music mix because when you go to a stadium you want to have that music to lift you to make you have fun you know to get you out of your seat because especially if your team are losing uh, or even if they're winning just to sort of like you know to to, to 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 lift your mood and we have this guy who was able to guide us along and say look this is good this is good because he's been a stadium goer he's a music head he's a sports head He's a Man U fan, so he's happy today. But do you know what? It all works out. Now, we're going to go over in just a minute to speak with our man, Rona Murphy, and to ask him about Mr. Tedesco, of course. the uh, Well, he's not so new. Well, he is kind of still just new. His feet are just under the table, the um, uh, Spartak Moscow coach. But we're going to give a quick rundown, of course, on the results from this weekend in the Russian Premier League, especially the, the local... The, Locomotive. I'm giving away there uh, sort of the, the first result I'm seeing here. Locomotive, they won 2 0 away in Ahmad and they were short so many of their first ranked players, including one of the Maranchuks. Um, they won 2 0 in Grozny. We were worried about that, but we did say last week it would be under three and a half goals. So we got that thing, we got that bang on. Spartak drew 0 0 with Rubin. That was yesterday. Now, it, was a, it wasn't a bad game, it was a bit dull in many, many ways, but you know what? It was worth it. Spartak, they, they showed a bit of, you know, a bit, a bit of fight as well because Rubin came in, they're looking to try and fight for their lives. Now, bad day yesterday for uh, Rostov because Rostov were flying, of course, they were up at the top of the table. They got absolutely battered, battered 6-1 by Zenit. Uh, Juba scoring a hat-trick and two penalties in that. And he also had two assists. Absolutely magnificent performance. Now, Rostov went up and it wasn't that they were just like bet out the gate. They just didn't, I don't know, something happened to them they just didn't get going. Um, Yesterday, or sorry, earlier on today, um, Ufa out in Bashkortostan, Siska, they got a 1 1 draw. Um, they were unfortunate because they were leading going in with the last 10 minutes, and then, of course, um, 
uh, Ufa, they, they, they equalise. Um, was it was it a fair goal? Was it a fair result? No, actually, I I, I do think I do really really do think that uh, Siska should have won. They didn't have as much of the ball, of course, as uh, Ufa, but at the same time, they were very very clinical at times. We just couldn't get that away. They couldn't get the goal away. Okay, um, and then earlier on today, of course, we've already mentioned Dinamo. Dinamo one one draw with. <laughs> I say chart toppers or table toppers, Krasnodar. Now, of course, we know Krasnodar are a pretty, pretty decent team. Uh, Dino took the lead early on. It was only about three minutes into it, and they got uh, Morozov. He scored the goal, and then Martinovic. Martinovic, he did terrific player. He equalised before half time. Now it was okay as a game, but it's good for a bit of stability, of course, for um, uh, for. Uh, Dynamo, because of course, it, it it almost mirrored it almost mirrored in many many ways the uh, United Liverpool game where. You know, Krasnodar were by far the better team, had more chances, controlled the ball, but just couldn't break down a very gritty and tough Dinamo team. Um, now, of course, Loco and Siska, they had their eyes on Europe this week. They have their eyes on the prize. Lokomotiv, <clears throat> after 13 matches, they are top of the table on 29 points. They are doing very well. They are joint leaders, of course, with Zenit. Um, and have done very, very well. Krasnodar, they are sneaking along there in third place on 27. Rostov in fourth on 26. Those two points dropped by Siska. Definitely dropped. Well, okay, no, I'll say they dropped. Um, they are in fifth place just behind Rostov. Now, Spartak, they are edging up the table ever slightly up and towards the top half of the table. Very likely to get to European football, but let's see what's going to happen. Uh, they've 13 games played and 15 points. Dinamo, that point, it gives them a bit of hope. They are on 11 points, but they're second from bottom. So they need to start, you know, uh, luckily Lokomotiv bet, bet Akmatso to give them a bit of hope. So, But they need to try and push up the table a little bit, even with their new coach. One thing uh, before I, I, I go across to uh, Ron Orphy is that there's a big rumour that Churchesov, after the 2020 Europeans, is going to go to Spartak. Tedesco is basically holding his towel for him. Or, well, basically, Tedesco is a towel on the uh, Sun Lounge. Um, but we'll see what's going to happen. Right, we're going to go straight away to our man who covers German football, Ronan Murphy. Ronan, can you hear us? I can. How are you? Very good. Listen, I hope you, I hope you don't mind me saying that Tedesco is basically, a, let's just say, in a very German way, uh, that he is a towel on the Sun Lounger for Spartak. Because, really, the Spartak fans want Mr. Churchesov, Stas, to come over and or to come away from the national team and take over Spartak, is it fair for me to say that Tedesco is simply a, a placeholder? He's kind of like the you know that kind of like average kind of guy or average girl that you kind of date until something better comes along. I think maybe you could be right in that situation. Maybe it's a bit like Nick McCarthy with Ireland. He's just there for one campaign and one campaign only. But perhaps like. Irish fans were hoping for at the start of our, our European campaign that maybe he'd end up winning the whole thing and we'd have a problem on our hands. I think maybe Spartak Moscow fans might be hoping for the same, that Tedesco can have a similar first season like he had at Schalke when they came second in the Bundesliga. If he could do something like that, maybe they might second-guess their, their initial thought and maybe they might want to keep him on then. But he, I, I think he is the man maybe to steady the ship there and he definitely has shown in the past that he can come into maybe a bad situation and turn things around. Okay, well, well, listen, that's a good thing. And listen, tell us a bit about the man, because, I mean, you, like, we, we, we basically, when we discussed this before, we asked you about it, you, you weren't so sure, but we did, as I said, here on Capital Sports, we called it he was coming in because we had his, uh, one of his people here was in the studio. So basically, describe him for us, because with a lot of Spartak fans listen, what is he like? What can they expect now? We've only one game in, of course, a nil-nil draw um, yesterday. 
But what can Spartak fans expect from him? What are you going to do with that team? And do you reckon that can he put them back into uh, European contention, even though they're so far behind right now? I think he can. I think the effect they had with his two previous clubs, Erzgeberg and Schalke, he came in and both teams were sort of struggling and he sorted out the problems in the dressing room. He got rid of maybe some of the big players. He, he dropped them. How it is, was part, is probably the one that, that Russian football fans didn't know the best. He, he got rid of him at Schalke and people were kind of second-guessing that. And Klaasian Huntelaar was pushed out the door at the same time and he didn't really replace them because he didn't think he needed to. He was happy enough with the squad that was there and he could turn things around with them. And He played a, a kind of a, an attractive, well, maybe not an attractive, a pragmatic 3-5-2 approach and he pressed high up the pitch that we, we see from a lot of German teams and we see with Klopp and with Liverpool. He, he tried to win back, the ball back high up the pitch and, and maybe start the, the counter-attacks really quickly and get the ball forward quickly. And he, he's tried to fill the attacks quickly from a deep defensive midfielder. He made Max Meyer turn him from a, maybe an attacking midfielder to nominally a defensive midfielder, but he was he was still spraying passes all over the place. So he, he I wouldn't expect attractive football, but I, I would expect him maybe to get the results because he's a very clever man. man. He's a very clever coach. He, even in his coaching class, in when he was doing his coaching badges in Germany, he. Uh, he ended up top of the class ahead of Julian Nagelsmann, who is the big name on everyone's lips in German football and even being linked with Man United at the moment. So this is a, a very clever guy. He speaks five languages and maybe Russian will be a sixth. But uh, yeah, he did, this is this is a guy maybe he he's, he'll be confident in his own abilities to, to get the job done for start. OK, look, Spartak, of course, is an absolute poison chalice. Great history for the club, especially from the 90s when basically they were the first Russian team to be basically set, to be set um, to commercialise, shall we say, to be run more like a business and so on. Um, but they, you know, they've been up and down. They had a new stadium, a, a pitch in the stadium, which is basically a potato field. Um, and a lot of issues like around the club because fans are expecting, expecting, expecting. Jalka was the same as well, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it kind of was. Before he took over, they were a team that were in the bottom half of the table and they hadn't really competed for much or challenged for much in about half a decade, I think. Their last kind of success before he took charge in 2017 was winning the Cup back in 2011. They didn't really make much of a blip on the Bundesliga or European radar since then. So it was He kind of inherited that. It was a, a huge gamble to appoint a guy that in his early 30s to, to come on board. Especially with one with such limited experience, he had only managed maybe over a dozen games in the in the second division with a, with a club that wouldn't be well known outside Germany, and they they took a, a risk on him. And uh, what was the question? Well, well, basically, like I mean, like do, do you think like so? We we look at like that a club. No, basically, the, as you said, uh, Schalke had issues. They had like uh, let's oh, just yes. say performance yes, issues. Indeed. And you're you're the yeah, same as same as Spartak. You're same as Spartak. Spartak haven't they won the league? Uh, you know. Uh, like three years ago, they were a very good team. They did well in Europe as well. They had Liverpool one-one um, here, and I mean they, they they were a decent team, very good players, players who've all moved on now to better, you know, better things, shall we say? Um, but there's still kind of balance. There's a huge amount of pressure. Just quickly, so because I have a couple more questions for you. Um, in your opinion, it's a good appointment for Spartak, um, and even though he won't play attractive football. He will get the job done and push him into, you know, basically a, a team to be beaten. 
Yeah, I would think so. He he's very popular with the players. Any any player who's worked under him has talked about how good a coach he is, and he's very meticulous. He's big into video training. Maybe if the players don't like that, he he won't find time for those players, and he, he will pay attention to the ones who do do. So he the players who fit the system will be the players who will play, not necessarily in the big names. Which perhaps with a team that is struggling, that's what you need rather than having the dressing room run the club. You need someone to come in and maybe take the reins. And if the the, the new man come, does come along next year, he'll be in a hurt and a, a better club because of the Tesco. Okay, well that's good because I, I was actually plugging for Roy Keane to take over, but that's I, I am biased on that. Um, listen, very very quickly onto the Bundesliga. There's a bit of a surprise package there. Munch and Gladbach are top of the table. Okay, they're joined up with uh, Wolfsburg. Bayern are just behind in third and Dortmund and uh, Leipzig. But, I mean, there's, oh, you look at the top of the table all the way down to 11th place. There's, what, six points covering them from 16 down to 11. Um, of course, Hoffenheim are in 11th place. Um, is, it, is, it, is it, like, more competitive now or just the fact that Bayern are just waiting to get going and Red Bull Leipzig are, are still finding their feet? Yeah, it's a bit, a bit of all of that. I, I think it's entertaining for once, a bit like the Russian. Hello, Ronan? German league is even more so at the moment because Bayern just can't seem to get out of their own way. They seem to be making stupid mistakes every weekend. Kovac is getting an earful from the, the fans because of it, but he can't affect what's going on in the field. And when they're conceding late goals and stupid goals and making uncharacteristic mistakes, it's hard maybe to blame the manager for that. But Bayern fans kind of expect everything now, so he, his job is in jeopardy again, just like it was last season. But we saw how well he turned the team around last season. He, he didn't lose a game in the second half of the season, and he, I would expect him with the, the talent they have as long as they can stay fit they will kind of do the same again this year. Okay. Um, of course, they, they drew 2-2 two, two today away Augsburg, but uh, Red Bull, they drew 1-1 one, one as well. Much in Gladbach, of course, they lost for the first time in quite a bit. 1-0 uh, away to Dortmund. Now, very, very quickly, uh, lots of German sides in Champions League action this week. Bayer, of course, who are in the same group as Lokomotiv, they're away at Atletico Madrid on Tuesday at uh, 8 o'clock here, local time kickoff. Um, should we be expecting to... to to go like to do better than um, than Loco, or do you think it's going to be an Atletico win? I think it's going to be an Atletico win. Bayer they just kind of look all all over the place at the moment, and they played Frankfurt this weekend, and they did not look good at all. They played Mitchell Weiser as a as a wing back, and he only lasted half an hour. He got taken off because I think <coughs> he had been he had driven, been driven past six or seven times at that stage, and two of the goals were down his wing and because he was he was so bad and I think Peter Bosch kind of looks like he doesn't have a plan B at the moment and if you don't have a, a, a if your plan A isn't working and you don't have a plan B you're not going to get anything from the going great Okay um, <clears throat> Red Bull Leipzig of course are hosting Zenit so a lot of Russian fans and there's a lot of Zenit fans even here in Moscow a lot of, who listen to us um, will they go there more in hope or should they have a chance to get a point because Red Bull as well they're kind of an up and down team this season as well but do you think Zenit can they get a point out of that or, or is it going to be a bit of a hiding I wouldn't say it necessarily will be a, a bit of a hiding, but I, I think Leipzig probably do have enough at home, and they they kind of have the players, and their their players are starting to gel. I know they, didn't, they only got a draw this weekend, but this is a team maybe that that play for the manager. That Julian Nagelsmann is is kind of he's slowly introducing, <coughs> excuse me, he's slowly introducing his own tactics to the use of Red Bull ones, and it's kind of starting to you're starting to see that, and it's really coming along. 
Okay, listen, uh, I know you go to go to get a drink of water and uh, chill, but listen, thank, thank you. you so much, Ronan. Look, we'll be on to you in a couple of weeks, but thank you so much. Have a great evening and yet again, brilliant to talk with you. Thanks very much, Alan. Cheers. Okay, that was Ronan Murphy, of course, our man who covers uh, all the Bundesliga and, of course, gives a great highlight. So, Spartak fans, be happy. Have your man for now, anyway. Right, we're going to wait to the break right away. Got a bit of groove again. We have Avicii and Hey Brother, so back after the break with Tariq Panja.
Capital Commercial. Мир уже не будет прежним. Больше не осталось места для обыденного. Только взрывное, героическое, волшебное, фантастически анимационное зрелище. Чувствуешь дрожь в коленках? Телеканал Фан. Добро пожаловать за границу реальности. Спрашивайте у вашего оператора платного телевидения. Для лиц старше 16 лет. Слова и выражения, которым вас не учили на уроках английского. Trip. Trip. Объясняет продюсер и автор песен Трэвис Лик. Лос-Анджелес, США. Но в контексте будет like, that's a trip. Значит, что-нибудь странное, что-нибудь неожиданная ситуация, это trip. Человек, который сумасшедший, сойдем с ума, он he's tripping, or it's a trip. Это много разных значений. Trip. Trip. With Alan Moore. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Capital Sports. Of course, this is part three. I hope you enjoyed it because every time I hear that uh, song from ABC, I mean, you know, it, it's a huge loss to music because, I mean, he, you know, I never really appreciated it when he was alive and now I appreciate it more when he's passed. Um, but my goodness, that, that is a song that just raises the hearts of sports fans every single time. And, um, Okay, very, very good. Okay, so again, um, as we mentioned, uh, there is that, that locomotive game. Um, I was speaking a little bit earlier on to a good friend of ours, uh, Kirill Bredo, and he is in Turin right now. Of course, they are playing on Tuesday evening. It's 10 o'clock kickoff. They are playing as Juve. Now, we're going to have a look at that a little bit later on because that's going to be a, a tough album for them. It really, really will be. Um, as we already mentioned then, that it's... it's You know, Bayer, they're, they're in a bit of a bad run at the moment. And as I already went through the top of the table uh, in, um, in, excuse me, in, in Germany, I mean, I don't know. I think hopefully if Bayer lose and then Loco even get a draw, who knows? They could get a draw in Juve and then all of a sudden they are sitting pretty for qualification for at least the Europa League. I know um, Max and Kirill, they were hoping maybe for second place, but let's wait. Now, very, very quickly, looking back at the English Premier League before we go to Tariq Banja. Um, Liverpool are still top of the table, of course. They're on 25 points. Man City are second on 19 points. Leicester, of course, kind of surprise packets. They're on 17 points in third. And they are joint with Chelsea, who are kind of nominally in fourth. They have more goals scored, um, but on the head-to-head they're behind. Uh, that's good for Chelsea. Um, Arsenal, they could go into fourth place. They could own fourth place. Actually, they go into third place, excuse me, if they beat Sheffield United tomorrow. They are in fifth place right now. Spurs... We'll ask Tariq about that because they're in, they're, in, they're in a bad way. They are in seventh place on 12 points. A lot of trouble around the club. A lot of trouble with the club, within the club, dressing room and so on. As we said, United are in 13th place on 10 points. Now, I did mention that there's you know, kind of this danger of um, relegation. Okay, Jonathan said that's not the case, but who knows? Who knows? They haven't relegated before. Uh, Watford, they are still without a win this season. They're getting draws, but they need more than that. They need to win some games to at least have a chance to stay in the top level. Okay, now we're going to go over to London to a man who, I have to say, if you read uh, his articles in the New York Times, um, terrific. You might not always agree with him. I've always said that to him. That I don't always agree with what he said or maybe the way he presents it. However... He gets his facts right and he's good and he's a very good writer, a very good um, 
journalist as well, and of course an author. Well, we'll let him talk about that as well. Uh, so we're going to go right away to Tarek Pancha. Tarek, can you hear us loud and clear? Hey, loud and clear. Nice to be with you, Alan. Great. Listen, Tarek, welcome to Russia, in a sense. Oh, great, great to be back. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Listen, Tariq, first of all, as I said just before you came on, I was telling our listeners, look, um, you're a terrific writer. You're someone who I think people need to, to, to read because we are getting a lot of either cheerleading or very, let's just say, one-sided um, articles being put out. But you, you, you're still putting out a great quality. And also, especially in sports where, as we know, we have a lot of fanboys and fangirls with laptops and they're producing the content. But how are you staying away from all this, Tarek? Tarek? Well, it's re really, really kind of you to say all of that. But um, I think it's also to do with the latitude I've been getting from my employer. They, they give us the time and the space to kind of dig into issues. We don't have to turn out um, stories at the same volume as perhaps some of the people you mentioned might have to. And that gives us time to kind of really get under the skin of a story and then publish it when it's ready. But, but listen, how hard is that? Because, I mean, you know, we're, like, as I, I've always said it, we're very, very lucky here that we have brilliant people here um, backing us and, and our bosses who basically say, look, tell the truth. You know, challenge it. Uh, like, ask questions. We'll back you. So, but that's very, very unusual now in, in, in media. Am I, am I right or am, am, am I sort of like a bit of a Pollyanna? No, no, I think I think you're right. There's a there's an urgency to it. There's a cost dynamic. You know, you've got an industry that is kind of shrinking, but the demands on the on the journalists are increasing. Um, and you're also sort of screaming into a, a, a very uh, tribal marketplace. Perhaps that's driven by social media, etc. So yeah, it, it is tricky. Um, and also, you have uh, an issue. I spoke about this at a conference the other day about access, where if you're a a, a beat writer, for example. You, you kind of um, risk being blackballed if you don't play the game. And again, luckily, some, me and a few others, we can be above the fray because we're not covering the same people day in, day out. But listen, I, like, of course, that is the case. I mean, like I, I've had people, well, I had a, a certain former Man City uh, manager, an Italian, shall we say, uh, who was managing down here in Russia, who basically turned around to me and said, I'm not speaking with you. And I, and I, and I said... Why? This is now at, at another game where he was coming to scout the opposition. And he was walking by our stage where we had our show, and he just said, I'm not speaking with you. I said, why? He said, no, 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 you're going to twist my words. Now, afterwards, I went to the suite, and we sat down together and had a drink, and I said, why did you say He said, no, because you were criticising me on Wednesday. I'm like, yeah, I didn't criticise you. I just said that I felt that you weren't getting the support you needed from the club. And he goes, yeah, but, like, you know, he didn't want to hear that because he was very, very used to being in this kind of echo chamber that, you know, everyone, like, were saying, yes, 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 good, good, good. Or, the other way, it's just all bad instead of trying to give a bit of a balanced uh, thing. So how important do you think is access for, for reporters, Tyrick? I think, like I said, for the beat reporters, I've heard examples where... Um you know, if, if Alex Ferguson famously banned reporters for writing things he didn't like, um, it, it, is a, it is a tension that you're constantly dealing with. Um, however, I think if, you know, if we all kind of, uh, we're, we're kind of stronger together, as it were, um, you know, if, if this was to happen, we, we, we should, as an industry, try and fight back against it. You know, access, access journalism doesn't provide essentially good journalism, does it? You know, you're going to have a very, very narrow uh, pool of content that's going to be... Um, uh, you know, approved content. That isn't the way this should be working. No, I mean, that, that is very, very true. I mean, you're right. I mean, it was Ferguson who banned, was it the BBC? From from um, from, from, from Old Trafford. Um, yeah, yeah, and others. 
Yeah, oh, that was wrong. Um, yeah, Tariq, I just, okay, on to the topic. So, uh, just very, very, well, first of all, I want to ask you about Man City because you really, you dug into what was going on around Man City, their finances, and just say what's going on in the Emirates. Um, in your opinion, do you think that maybe some of the coverage, the negative coverage that was getting, uh, that they were getting from you, from other very, very strong and brave reporters, has that affected them a little bit? Have they sort of like pulled back a wee bit now? Okay, we're going to get Tarek back there in just a moment. And of course, um, just just so you know, it was like Tarek, he had um, been very, very to the forefront and sort of like questioning finances in football in general, and especially Man City uh, last year. Tarek, um, just, uh, just ask you that question again. Um, do you think that when you and a very, very few others were actually questioning Man City and their finances and the Emirates, um, do you think that that has sort of like caused them to, to have a bit of food for thought and they've actually stepped back a little bit now or been more careful? Uh, hard to know. It's, it's it's such a short time frame in between um, when when those stories ran and, and where we are today. However, it it, it was interesting to see um, how they reacted to to, to to the information that was published. There was a lot of, um, I guess, a bit of pressure on the club to try and to try and answer some of the some of the reporting. The club still, uh, let's be clear, deny that they've done anything wrong. There is a sense that they are being unfairly treated. I think that still exists within the club. There is a sense that they're being um, unfairly treated also by, by the governing bodies, UEFA in particular. Um, however, um, look, my, my job essentially is to try and report out what is happening. And um, there are a set of rules that all these clubs um, have to kind of sign up to in order to play football to play in Champions League or to play in the Premier League, etc. And if they don't like those rules, which I which I can agree with, I think clubs like Manchester City, there's a reason why they don't like them and there's a good reason why they don't like them because it essentially is, uh, as far as financial fair play is concerned, there is a sense that the drawbridge has been pulled up and, 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 and newcomers are kind of excluded from this sort of gilded pool of clubs and that, that is a fair argument. However, if, if they want to fight against that, they should, they should do that openly. They should lobby to change those rules, but they can't kind of pretend that they are abiding by the rules that exist if, as the evidence appears to show, they aren't. And, and, and that, that is the challenge Man City face. Okay, I mean, throughout, like, you know, through your career, and I mean, I've been following your career quite closely. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, don't, don't worry, I'm not a stalker or that. Um, but I remember you for a long time covering, uh, you know, uh, covering different events. Um, and especially when, you, for example, we were at Bloomberg. And the work you did on FIFA, for example, was, was, let's just say groundbreaking. And I mean, that led, of course, to um, your book, which I have to say, I would highly recommend reading uh, Football Secret Trade. And that's about, all about the player transfer market and the kind of dirty deeds and so on. I mean, I've, from working inside of football and seeing what goes on, I, I, it just was like, oh my goodness, like, you know, this is basically, I, I, I can like rubber stamp all of this. Um, do you think that, you know, that, that, that there will be changes, like, you know, as you said, like, you know, Man City, they could lobby UEFA. Uh, they could even lobby FIFA to get changes brought in and so on, um, all the way down for financial fair play. But do you think that you just don't care? Do you think we're, we're just too big to fail? And this, like, Man City is a toy because, we know what they do when they're buying and selling players. So do you think it's just a, a, a bit of fun for them and they'll just go on, sell the club and uh, buy a, a, a mega yacht? 
Yeah, I, I don't know if it's if if it's sort of um, so cut and dried in in that sense. Basically, Manchester City is an important piece for the United Arab Emirates. You know, this is a uh, a, a Gulf country with endless pots of money. However, you know, in order to be kind of by legitimacy in the world. Uh, we've seen it done elsewhere. You sort of get into the world's most popular sport. Qatar has done the same thing. Others have done the same thing. And they've bought Manchester City in many ways. In many ways, the project that Manchester City and its owners are have undertaken is, is fairly sophisticated. You know, it involves multiple clubs. There is um, there is a great infrastructure that they've put down in, in Manchester. That, that it seems that, that 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 it is there for the for the long term more than more than other clubs. They've done more, I would say, than just buy players. The the issue is you have to kind of play within the rules that exist. You know, football is a very simple game, right? You know, it's eleven <laughs> players against eleven. Uh, the team that scores the most goals win. However, if you have a scenario where uh, essentially a team is playing with thirteen and other was playing and the rest are playing with eleven, then that 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 isn't fair. So, um, and, and that's essentially um, the question here. If, if the rules are in place and everyone needs to abide by them, everyone should be, no matter how rich they are, no matter how, how politically um, connected they are, etc. So, so far with financial fair play, there, are, there have been hints, there have been frustrations that some of the big clubs get away with murder when it comes to sanctioning from, 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 from UEFA in this instance, when it comes to FFP. We've had a, um, you know, I wrote about the PSG case that that troubled the investigators, that troubled the the the, the judge, and and that leads to huge question marks over over UEFA's handling of that case. Then recently, you have um, um, AC Milan, who this year um, they came up with some sort of side deal where they agreed with UEFA that they would be missing one season of European football. And funnily enough, that happened to occur just after they failed to make the Champions League and were dropped into the Europa League. So again, to outsiders and, and even, even some people within the, the organisation, they're looking at this and saying, hang on a minute, are, are AC Milan and, and, and UEFA conniving with each other to decide when the sanction is appropriate? You know, these, 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 these questions and the constant um, judgments that are questionable kind of um, lay bare the, the weakness of the system as it stands. Well, that listen, Derek. That that is uh, fair, fair enough on that because it goes. All clubs need to be treated equal, but we do know that in European football, that you know they're not all equal. Derek, um, just moving slightly away from football right now because you were in, you were covering Doha, of course, uh, last week, and I mean. I mean, we, we we had this kind of like Alice in Wonderland moment. I was I, last week. I came into the studio thinking, how on earth am I going to describe what went on in the past seven days? A week before, you had Alberto Salazar getting banned and his doctor getting banned for intentionally doping, and Nike knowing about it and even sort of like you're know, defending him and so on. A week later, then you have the uh, two-hour barrier broken in the men's marathon distance. And then a day later, you had uh, the Chicago Marathon, or the same day, you did the Chicago Marathon win um, for a runner who we now, we believe, actually missed three tests in the run-up to that yes. uh, marathon. Tarek, like, you were at, as well, the, the, the anti-doping conference. Do, like, we, 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 like, we, like, I've been one of the people who's been kicking the life out of Russia and trying to, you know, invoke changes and saying, come on, we need to do better. You've been writing about... Uh, you know, broad stream, not just focus on Russia, of course. You've been writing mm. about where, where, where there are faults and problems. Is it just basically that we've just gone so far that we just accept that this happens and, and the fans, the people that 
you write for or that I broadcast to, they just don't care anymore. E either they don't care or you're going to have to suspend your belief for, for that moment and enjoy, enjoy someone running very quickly or jumping very high or throwing really far. Because, uh, you know, from, from, from my uh, perspective, the whole anti-doping architecture as, as it is barely standing, you know, one, one, one more sort of heavy blow on this architecture that we have now and the whole thing comes tumbling down. That, that, that it is way, way too fragile. There are far too many people, it seems, that are able to get away with it. Um, and there's far too many people who seem to question the authenticity of, of any of, of, of the process as it stands. Um, in, in that case, you know, we are in serious trouble. I mean, because, like, I, you know, again, looking at the World Cup uh, in rugby, sorry, and I'm watching just thinking... You know, I didn't even watch the the, the, the games today. I, I was out. I, I just really didn't care because it's just I don't believe what's going on in the field. Like these guys can't be so big, so strong, and so fit, and with massive stamina at the same time. I mean, bodybuilders can't run twenty kilometers and not break a sweat. Um, Tariq, what what in your opinion? Okay, because you 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 know this. You've seen it. I mean, we like I've discussed it a bit in Rosada, where basically they need to educate and basically ban the coaches, ban the enablers and basically say, let's bring sport back to what it should be and should be that it should be fun. And it doesn't matter about national pride. Okay, fine, we, we won't win that many Olympic medals. But what's more important? You know, winning clean or not? But we see like even, yeah, it, you know, what can be done? Because even looking at like you said in the US, I mean, we know in the NFL, NHL, MLB, college sports, even high school sports, kids are dropping dead from using steroids. What, but and yet USADA can't protect them. So what can be done? Like what, what do we need to do, uh, Terry? So you, you have to look at the framework of global sports, in, in my view, and you see who 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 are the, who's in, who are the main interests here. You have big sports companies, where companies you have a, and you have the governing body. It, it, within that triumvirate, it is in no one's real interest to expose wide-scale cheating, in my opinion. Um, and so we're, we're in a situation where you have the kind of anti-doping movement, which is tiny, um, is, 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 is allowed to kind of fight just as much, just as, just as much as it's almost allowed to, what it seems like to me, because it's in none of those vested interests, the three big groups I mentioned, want the world or would be happy for the world to know there is a major problem with cheating in their in, in, in their sports. This is, uh, I think, sadly, again, like with everything these days, a story about money. And you don't want your product to be exposed as being a sham. So even if you if you were to blow the whistle on on, I don't know, say major cheating in a major sport, who loses? You're going to lose. Your, you risk your broadcasters. Your broadcasters lose your advertisers, the marketing, etc. So, how much resource is being pushed into the anti-doping? Very little. And then you look at with something like WADA. Uh, I think there's significant conflict of interest between the control, say, the IOC has as the 50% shareholder in WADA, um, and in terms of its independence of decision making. There are. It is still hugely politicized, way too politicized. This should be a very um, straightforward process away from uh, the political dimension. You know, you're speaking to me from Russia. And, and it, it, it is obvious that this, this, this situation with Russia has a, a very significant political dimension. 
and involves the um, the IOC president as well. And, and you know, these people aren't hands off. Um, exactly. And until that happens, we're, we're not going to get um, to where 